It's the Get Off My Lawn podcast for the week of February 7th, 2016. On tonight's program, you'll hear comedian John Caponera say... I thought maybe you edited this stuff. I I guess not. We'll edit a little, maybe. We'll see what happens. uh... And Javier Grigio Markswatch tells us about his vinyl fetish. My my daughter's just going to hate me because I'm going to have like... She's going to grow up listening to Duran Duran and like, you know... um... This podcast is sponsored by... Kevin's Bookmobile. Check out www.lulu.com slash Marusik for a selection of books authored by your genial host. Buy a paperback, download an ebook, and help support the podcast. That's www.lulu.com slash M-A-R-O-U-S-E-K. And by our tip jar. Like what you've been hearing on the show so far? Want to hear more? Then help us out by going to getoffmylawnpod.blogspot.com, clicking on the tip jar, and donating to the cause of creativity. No amount too large, no amount too small. That's getoffmylawnpod.blogspot.com. I'm your announcer, Craig, and here's your genial host, Kevin. Now we're rolling. Now we are rolling. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another thrilling installment of the Get Off My Lawn podcast, as Craig himself announced. Hi, Craig. Hello. Hello. Craig is actually again back with us here at Backpack Studios. Yes. Yes. Excited. We, we went a couple of uh, podcasts without hearing your, your commentary in the opening, and, and people don't like that. They like hearing you. Well, I am glad to give it. They don't like hearing me. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> so on tonight's show, we've got a comic. A comedian. I don't know if if comic is even allowed anymore. I think it's a comedian. Like when you think of a comic, you think of like a prop comic, you know, carrot top and whatever. But oh, is that the difference? I think so. And like a comedian is someone who you know crafts the the material. And I'm a scientist, <laughs> not a scientist. Uh, so we've got John Campanera, who is he's a kick. He's a kick. Did I say it right? You didn't. I think I, I didn't. So, so we've got John Capanera. Capanera. I said it right. You would, I told you how to say it, and then I said it wrong. See, hey, that's, that's professional they to, broadcasting. They didn't, get, they didn't get to hear my outtakes. That's right. Those have already been deleted. <laughs> you don't know that. We can, we can find those. We well, that's find. true. Yes. So I, I, met, uh, I met up with John at Jerry's Famous Deli. Awesome. Have you been to Jerry's Famous Deli? No, you not yet. I, I've missed out on that you've, whole you've out. deli tour in L.A. See, now, do you remember Andy? the name Andy Kaufman? The guy yeah. that played oh, the yeah. from Taxi? Absolutely. When when he was on Taxi, and some people know this story and some people don't, but it always makes me smile about him. When he was an actor on Taxi, he kept his job as a busboy at Jerry's Deli. That's pretty cool. Because he was constantly afraid that he would lose his job as an actor, comic, comedian, whatnot so he kept he kept his job so you could go and see this one of the most popular characters on television he'd be busting your table at jerry's deli that's crazy (laughs) and it was kind of fun being in jerry's deli you have that traditional hollywood experience where i'm interviewing one one comedian and another comedian goes walking by and we both recognized him he almost joined us we were thinking about it we were like oh let's get another guy over but it was kind of fun to have that sort of moment you don't have that much in the inland empire no, not it's, very, not very often. Not even a little bit, really. It's, I'm trying to think of famous Inland Empire residents. Do we have any? Well, Kevin Costner spent some time out here a long time ago. Well, that was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. 
<laughs> uh, we've got now one of the we, we were chatting earlier at dinner time the the Corona High Madrigal reunion concert is coming up. Yay! One of the Madrigal. Now Craig was a Madrigal. Yes. And for those of you that want to hear Craig sing, you can go to the concert. You, you can look up on on the Facebook page. What is it? Corona High Madrigal or CHS Madrigal reunion? Something like that. Something and like they'll that. They'll have all of that information. But there was a famous Madrigal. There was the pop. The, I can't remember his name now. That I'm blanking. It's the guy from uh, Alien Ant Farm. Oh yes, Mr. Ty Zamora. There we go, Ty Zamora. Yes, he, he was an Inland Empire dude. That's true. And he once sang right there in the little uh, tuxedo. That's true. Thing we sang at, together. So yeah, so so we do have some. Like that. That's it, really. <laughs> we got Kevin Costner, yeah, Ty Zamora. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we get a lot of sports people out of here. Do we? Yeah, there's there's a decent amount of sports people. Like, well, I guess, yeah. Dave Janowski. Centennial puts out a lot of strong yes, football Jim, players. They're doing some things. And I'm I'm a huge football fan, as you know. Well, I mean, given the physique you have. That's right. People must ask you all the time. That's right. You must watch <laughs> a lot of football. <laughs> you, must, you must sit on your ass. That's uh, And in fact, this episode is is dropping. We're using a professional term now. It's dropping on Super Bowl Sunday. That's right. So I'm sure that everybody is forgetting about the Super Bowl so they could hear John Campanera talk to me. We're That's... so going to get sued now. You've said it twice. <laughs> I'm the sorry. big game it's, it's is the to... bowl of superness. <laughs> yes. It's, yeah. I don't know. But we got a football team now, Craig, since the last time we spoke. That's true. We will have the Rams again. Does that mean you're going to go to a football game? No. Me either. <laughs> and I, you know, my big thing, and again, I'm obviously not a sports fan. This has been made clear in my life time and time again. But where, why is Los Angeles, why are Los Angelinos, however it is you want to refer to it, why should they be loyal to a team that already left us in the 80s? Gluttons for punishment. And then went to you know, Kansas and is now coming back to us because somebody's paying them a boatload of cash, which means if someone pays them a boatload and a dollar, they're going to leave us again. That's true. So why should we be loyal to this team and invest millions of dollars in whatever, knowing that they don't care about us as a city or a people or anything else? We're a desperate lot. Okay, well, I can recognize desperation. I'm still single in my 40s. So. <laughs> Perhaps if there was a, a sport uh, striking out with women... You would be. I would be the king. You'd of be that the sport. king of that sport. <laughs> and I'd like to point out that uh, you you uh, stated that they went to Kansas. They no. they actually went to St. Louis. St. Louis. See, there's Missouri. my football. Kansas, St. Louis. It's all the same, the right? One's got an arch. One's got something barbecue. I think. <laughs> I got nothing else for them. <laughs> We see you do have the all the food-related sure. items down. Um, sure. You've got well, them locked okay, down. So now, as we are recording this, though, it is Saturday night before Super Bowl Sunday. So, Craig, who's your Super Bowl pick? Or, are, are you a Panther person? You know what? I lived in North Carolina for a time. And since I'm not a sports person, yeah. that's about as strong as affiliation I need. <laughs> I'll go for the Carolina Panthers, sure. <laughs> I'm going to go for them only because all I know about them is that, what, they only lost one game this season. So statistically, That's their true. chances of winning one more game are greater than their chances of losing a second game. That's true. Just going with the hard math. That's true. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Carolina. And, and by the time this drops... We'll probably uh, by the time well, this, it'll be right about yeah, the, time by the time the game's this drops, ending. Beyonce will probably be singing her halftime. Yeah, that's whatever true. that is. That song dropped today. Did you hear that? The song she's going to sing. I pay as much attention to Beyonce as I do uh, football. Football. Well, it, it dropped free. That's the only reason I listened to it was they released the track for free, and said she will be singing it live during the halftime show. Live and I, liar. Yeah, 
liar yeah. pants on fire. But there's two. Well, <laughs> in addition to the, uh, it's going to be pre-recorded. But <laughs> Beyonce, and she's got a decent voice when she puts her mind to it. I'm not going to no pretend doubt. that she, she doesn't. She absolutely can sing. Yeah, this new track, she's doing the Britney Spears burp singing thing. The ah, bah, bah, oh. bah thing. Oh. And it's not her best work. Mm. And I don't know how well, A, it's a, you know, again, when you're going to a halftime show and you're paying however much you're paying for the Super Bowl tickets, you want to hear the hits. You know, you when, when, when Tom Petty was doing the halftime show, he's not going to say, and now we're going to do a brand new song that none of you can sing along to. No. You want to hear American Girl when Tom Petty steps out onto the stage, you know, <laughs> and with Beyonce, you want to hear her sing about all the single ladies and whatever else she does. Come on. Name a second song. Um, <laughs> shoot. Hold on. I can do this. You There's set yourself up for that crazy one. Crazy in Love. Crazy in Love. Got it. Boom. Crazy in Love. Because she looked wow. dynamite in that music video. Good uh, for you. And she wore nothing but just denim jeans and a tank top. And okay. she was able to pull off more with that outfit than. A By lot the of way, other. I could not have answered my own See? question. So good for you. I I got my elbow on the pulse of pop culture. <laughs> <laughs> I can recall a ten-year-old pop song. <laughs> way to go! <laughs> Thank you very much. So yeah, so uh, let's uh, head to Jerry's Deli now. Well, not now, actually, a week ago, and uh, listen to to John Capanera. He's got a new book out about his tales in the world of stand-up, and really it's it's an advice book for a lot of people that are looking at the world of becoming a comedian and what it's like. He's offering some genuine life lessons, both positive and negative, about it. Um, he talks about the loneliness of the road. He talks about the best places to perform, the worst places to perform, all these things. Oh, and we trash talk Jay Leno a little bit Ooh. in the interview, too. I haven't heard this yet. <laughs> and it's typically, a simple question you can ask almost any comic is, do you have a Tonight Show story? Because Particularly of that generation, of you know of the, of the ones that came up along the same time as Seinfeld and Ray Romano and all of those, because they all have a Tonight Show story. He did wasn't like the other Tonight Show stories. Awesome. I can't wait. <laughs> so you will, you will hear a little bit of that, and uh, you're going to hear a little bit about that now. So here it is. Uh, and yeah, enjoy. We'll talk to you soon. See you later. All right, well, let's get started. I am here with uh, John Campanera, a, a stand-up comic and now an author. Yeah, I published it on Amazon. Uh, it's called A Life in Comedy. It's pretty much autobiography. It's an autobiography, but it's geared towards young aspiring comics uh, with stories in there of things that happened to me throughout my 36 years doing stand-up. So, you know, it's kind of like a ball four was to baseball. <laughs> sure. This is this it is to comedy. If you're a comedy aficionado, I think you'll like the stories. And if you're an up-and-comer... I drop a lot of knowledge on for, for kids just starting out. So maybe ways to cut corners if they read my book uh, or things or just what to expect in the life of a, of a touring comic, you know, the Do road they life. fame, fortune, and success in Well, they can expect that, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> what they can expect and, and will happen is a lot of lonely nights on the road, you know. Thank you. Um, but uh, I try to bring out the reality of the business and how how it is lonely on the road and it's not all it's cracked up to be as far as living the high life and banging waitresses and you know <laughs> you, you don't have a lot of stand-up groupies jetting, uh... jetting all around the world yeah i have groupies but they're like 400 pounds and up well you know? there's, you know, <laughs> there's a, a market for that a little different than a rock and roll star yeah 
So uh, what's changed about stand-up most in the last 30 years? What would you say is the biggest difference? You know, when I started in Chicago, there was a ton of open mic nights, and they had good crowds. What I'm finding out today, a lot of open mic nights, it's a, half of them are comedians there, and there's very little audience members. So you yeah. really don't get a true, you don't get a true uh, read on the audience. Because everyone's flooded there, and the whole crowd's comics. And the whole crowd's got their notebooks open, and they're doing their own material. Yeah, they're not even listening to you because they're worried about what they're going to say on stage. So, I don't know. When I was starting out, they each club in Chicago, which was several of them, had their own open mic night. But they would also sprinkle in the the pros in between the open micers. It wasn't just open mic night. Right. It was just another night that welcomed open micers. You That's know, cool. so they would. They would sprinkle them in with the pros, and you got a regular audience there. Right. You didn't have just an open mic night audience of people coming in. And I've, I've gone to a few. I've got some friends that are stand-ups, and they'll do the open mic at the comedy store a lot. And what ends up happening is you, you invite all of your friends via social media, so all of your friends will show up. If you're not the first one up, you know, once that comic's friends have seen that comic, oh, they yeah. all leave. Oh, they all split. <laughs> Right, so if he brought 20 people, you just lost 20 if yeah, you're following you, him. Yep, and it just it becomes, like you said, it becomes brutal by the end of the night. There's a guy there with five people, one of them's his mom, you know. Yeah, open. I remember when I got to the comedy store, I, I came out here in 85 to do Star Search, and I was they were putting me up right at the Hyatt next door. I said, hey, I might as well go in there and see if I can get up, you know. So I walked in, I said, hey, I'm doing star search tomorrow night, is there any way I can get on stage? And they said, well, let me see. Well, they ended up getting up, had a great set. I come off and they said, Mitzi Shore wants to talk to you, the owner. So she says, hey, are you living out here now or are you just out for the show? I said, no, I moved out here, I'm, I'm going to give it a go. She said, call in Monday for spots. Well, everyone starts patting me on the back and shaking my hand. I'm like, what's going on? She goes, she just made you a paid regular. There's guys at the doors, seating people, right. been there trying. two years trying to be a paid regular. <laughs> but the difference is, I was already headlining throughout the Midwest. I came out here with an act. A lot of guys that try to start in L.A. die a slow death because they can't get the stage time. Yeah. I, you know, Jimmy Schubert was one of them. Jimmy Schubert was working the Remember door. The name, yeah. And Jimmy would see me work every night. And I'd think, Jim, you're working the door here because you want to get stage time. You want to become a paid regular. He goes, yeah. He goes, you can't get stage time. I mean, look who's on stage. Robin Williams. You know who follows him? Eddie Murphy. You know who follows him? Uh, you know, Paul Rodriguez. I goes, they're all headliners, man. Yeah. I goes, you can't get stage time here. You got to go somewhere where you can be bad, where you can cut your teeth, where you can, you know, hone your act. He ended up moving to Florida, came back two years later. He had a kick-ass act, you know. But, I mean, he, he always had it in him. He just needed stage time, yeah. you know. And that's that's all I'm trying to say is that you got to go somewhere where you can be bad and get up and, on a regular basis because this all this business is all trial and error. You know, yeah. it's about getting up, throwing yourself in the fire. What works, you keep. What doesn't work, you throw away, and you just keep writing, 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 and never have enough material. And that's, I, I owe you an apology, by the way. I st I've stolen one of your jokes for years off of your comedy album. It's the, the Mike Tyson joke about uh, what, why do Mike Tyson's eyes water when he's having sex. And I've learned it's all in the timing of the punchline. Because I can say it once and get nothing, 
but it's all in the time. But I use that joke every every chance I get because it's a good uh, crowd breaker. It lets me know who's going to be offended by me and who isn't. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I do a lot of sports stuff in my act. So when I was doing Tyson's bits, that that's, that that was a nice I icebreaker to get oh, yeah. talking about him you know <laughs> it shocks me that he's you know he's got a cartoon now and he's appearing in movies like how many other convicted rapists get you know hey, their the, own series the fact that central. he had a, his own show on broadway a one-man show yeah. <laughs> was phenomenal you know you can't keep the guy down he he lost 350 million dollars you know in his career uh boxing and, and went broke and then uh, ends up making a rebound, uh, yeah. you know, doing his own one-man play on Broadway, you know. <laughs> That's got to, again, make the people that have been struggling to try and achieve something like that for years yeah. shake their heads. But <laughs> I was wondering, he goes, you know, you just got a tattoo on your face. Is this the way you show your parole officer yeah, that, that you turn over a new leaf? Why don't I just get a tattoo right on my face? Uh, this uh, this uh, give me a... Yeah, it's, it's he and Manson, I think, are the only two I can think of that tend to do that at parole time. That's uh, Right. <laughs> you had your own comedy, sir, uh, uh, st or not stand-up show, you had your own sitcom for a while. Yeah, 94. And I remember Drew Carey in his autobiography said nothing but nice things about you, well, in we addition were... to all the dick jokes you two used to tell <laughs> when you were backstage. We were actual uh, partners on the show. I am. Are you going to have any? Go ahead, no. Okay, I'm going to do an egg salad sandwich. Can we do fries? Okay, well, let's let's do baked beans and fries, and we'll live with the upcharge. Okay. I should point out for the people that are listening, we are live at Jerry's Deli in Studio City. <laughs> As you could tell As by the order tell. that was just made. <laughs> I thought maybe you edited this stuff. I, was, I, I was, guess not. Oh, we'll edit a little, maybe. We'll see what happens. <laughs> but, uh, now, every comic seems to have that quintessential uh, Tonight Show story. Did you include yours in the book? Did you do a Tonight Show or did you not do the Tonight Show? Or? You know, I did the Tonight Show when I had my series on NBC, but I did it as a guest, like a, an actor. Oh, a panel. As a panel. He, gotcha. he didn't let me do stand-up, which upset me because I was a stand-up comic. Right. And the fact that I went on Leno, and I didn't go on until... The show's fate had already been sealed. We weren't coming back. If he would have put me on the show, it was an NBC show. Right. And so was Leno. So if he put me on when the series first started, it could have helped promote the show, yeah. get some attention. But no, he puts me on after the show's already been sealed. And so I couldn't even promote the show, really. So <laughs> it was just all ass backwards. And he had just taken over and he got the show. Letterman didn't. So he only wanted A plus stars every night. Right. And that's why I didn't get on in the early days of the shooting, as, as opposed to the later days. But it didn't help me by the time I did get on. <laughs> so that's my Tonight Show that's story. That's Tonight Show story. That Jay Leno was a jerk-off and didn't let me go on until late. Yeah, and, and in, if you read like The Late Shift and some of the other things, they'd initially blamed his manager for a lot of that. Oh, no. And then, yeah, years later, it sort of reversed the position. It sort well, of reversed you know what? On that too. You can never... The, the manager did play the the bad guy role and he always played the good guy role like right. oh I'm just an act yeah. I'm just the entertainer I don't know what my manager does you know they sit together and talk about this <laughs> stuff I mean who are you kidding you yeah know? who are we going to get when oh, are we yeah. going to get him yeah. oh yeah and he just plays the good guy and comes off looking like oh I'm just an act I don't know what my manager's doing 
I think the the worst he well, I mean, he's come off as bad on a couple of occasions, but when he when he came back after Conan got the show was probably when America said, ah, I think we're done with Jay Leno. <laughs> yeah, well, then I guess you could really see the you know his ulterior motives were for plain to see for everybody. Yeah. That's at know, that point, there's no, no pretending. You know? No, there's no pretending that you know he had nothing to do. He's going to come back and then and take all the good acts before Conan. Right. That's how you're going to help the guy out. <laughs> Tie up all these great acts that are going to go on right before your show. Yeah. Take away the strong leads like ER and some of the other things that yeah. were helping both the local news and then the Tonight Show. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. his true colors, I guess, came out there. Yeah, that's well. <laughs> <laughs> did you end up uh, doing Letterman at all in New York? I or? never did do Letterman because I never lived in New York, and you know they have their own pool of guys they draw from. They don't really have to fly people in from LA Very and true. put them up, <laughs> you know. So I don't. Even though I like New York, I never really spent a lot of time there. I did Rodney Dangerfields. I did Catch a Rising Star, but you know when I started and moved to LA, it seemed like all the comedy was out here at the time. MTV Half Hour, Comedy Hour, right. Comic Strip Live, A and E uh, at the Improv. Improv was huge. It yeah. was all here, and then it's it's since you know shifted back to New York, but you know I got thirty six years into this. <laughs> I'm not going to move there and now. As you said, a couple just of to kids get on Gotham, you know. Yeah. Now you've managed though to you know raise a family and everything on a comics income, which is yeah, it's very hard. I was going to say. Not that. only is it hard on you and your wife, you being gone. And the absentee father, but your wife trying to carry the load while you're gone. And, and how many days do you travel a year? Do you think um, half? At least that's what I was doing. I try to cut it back, way back, in order to save my marriage. <laughs> you know, but it's still hard. Uh, you know, I have a whole a chapter in my book called uh, "A Stand-Up Comedy: A Single Man's Game" because it really is. Yeah. I mean, once you throw that kid or get married in there. It changes the whole complexion of the of the job, and now you got to juggle time and time away. You know, you got to turn down gigs you normally take because your wife needs a break. Then you got to jump on the road because you got to make X amount of dollars. <laughs> you know, and you try to stay home to read for parts, and if the parts don't come through, you know, you don't feed your family for that month. And then if you go away and they want you for a gig or an episode of whatever. You're doing a gig some way and you can't get out of that. So, it's I've, I've lived with that. I've lived that's, with that for 30 years living in LA, and uh, that's just part of the territory of having kids and and doing stand up. You know, it's uh, I try to tell people in the book, if you can't help it, don't have kids if you're in this business because <laughs> it's not that I don't love my kids. I right. love them to death. It's just they makes become it, a part of your act. I've it just makes it twice as hard. Yeah. <laughs> Not well, years ago, I also I also would stay in town and could make more money, like doing episodics, doing commercials, doing voiceovers, and a lot of that dried up on me. And it's you know a lot of it's ageism. They don't, you know, these comedy clubs want comics twenty to forty five, and unless you have a household name and you can put asses in the seats, it's a whole different ballgame. You know, I don't care how good my act may be. They look at me like, if you can't put asses in the seats, you're right. at the mercy of whatever the club owner wants to pay you. That's just the way it is. Right. And that's, well, I guess it's something for, like you said, the new comics to learn and know and understand, too. You right. Know, and, I, and I put all that in the book. I said, you know, try to, try to brand your name as much as you can because 
it's all about putting asses in the seats with these club owners. You're not holding any aces if you can't fill the room up. And that, that's what they're all about. They're all about the bottom, bottom line, which is the mighty dollar. And if you can't put asses in the seats, you're at the mercy of whatever they want to pay you. How you can't, even, you can't even argue with it. I don't care how funny you are. You can't argue with it. So I try to tell them, you know, use social media as much as you can. Facebook, Twitter, post different spots that you have up on YouTube. You know, to try to, maybe you'll, maybe you'll get lucky and right, something, something, will, something will, go will go viral on you. And your name will get out there. But, you know, you got to be your own promoter now. you got to be your own marketer. You don't need NBC or ABC to make you anymore. Right. People get made overnight all the time. Well, and shows like The Tonight Show don't make a comic the way they used no, to. No, they don't. A it's a whole different ago. forum now, you know. Yeah. Uh, you got to be your own producer, editor, director, everything. Which and you can be. Sure. You know, you just have to be a go-getter. And if you have kids, that's all going to slow it down, <laughs> you know. So tell me about uh, what it was like to actually get a sitcom. How do you go about that it was process the, and It was the best experience of my life, you know. I got to see how the other half lives, <laughs> the half with money. You know, I ended up getting the sitcom because um, my manager, Rick Messina, he also handles Tim Allen. And Tim Allen was a star from Home Improvement, and he was doing a show down in Orange County at a theater in the round, and they asked me if I would open for him. So I went out there and opened for him, and unbeknownst to me, some Disney executives were in the audience from the entertainment division, uh, television division, and they fell head over heels for my act and thought I could be the next Tim Allen, and because they produced Home Improvement, Disney produced it right. for ABC, and the next day, the, the next week, they went and got Warren Littlefield to come out and see me at the comedy store, and I called in all my markers. I just called in every friend I had, said, please come to the comedy laugh store. Laugh as loud as you can. Laugh like the... De Niro in Cape Fear in the scene where he's in the movie theater. I goes, and sure enough, they came out. I had a great set, and the next day they offered me a sitcom pilot. We shot the pilot called The Good Life, and it um, ended up getting picked as a mid-season replacement show. We weren't on the fall schedule, but we came out. We shot all the episodes in the fall of 93, and we came out Super Bowl Sunday uh, 94, nice. right after the Super Bowl. So first episode, huge ratings. First, uh, first episode, out <laughs> uh, astronomical ratings. Second episode, second episode, what? What the hell happened? <laughs> well, we're not following uh, the Super Bowl. Yeah, we're following course. Saved by the Bell, the college years. And that really hurt us. Not a strong lead-in, huh? Not a strong lead-in. <laughs> in fact, the only show that NBC had that year to lead you in was Seinfeld. Yeah. And Frazier so. got it. Everyone else was thrown to the wolves. <laughs> And my show, John Larroquette and John Mendoza's show, all all tanked because we that. didn't we didn't have a good lead in, and we were up against Full House, Roseanne, and Home Improvement. <laughs> so th our fate was sealed. Yeah. You know. Now, even though it was a blessing to get the show, you didn't strike me. You still don't strike me as the guy who was doing stand up to get a sitcom, like so many stand ups are. They, that seems to be the progression where it's like they want, you know, they're doing stand up basically in their eyes slumming it until they get the better deal. Was, was that something you really strive for? Or was that something Well, I always wanted happen? to be an actor and I always wanted to act. I thought this would help me get a sitcom and it did. Yeah. And, but I just happened to be a good stand-up. And it would, for many years it was my bread and butter. Sure. 
before I got that sitcom. But once I did get that sitcom, a lot of more acting parts came in after the sitcom was let go. So I was able to sustain an acting career, and I got my SAG pension, my SAG insurance. I'm vested, you know. That's a good thing. And so a lot of good did come out of getting that sitcom because it put me on the actor map, not just the stand-up map. And I got a lot of I got a lot of work from it. Yeah. You know. Now I looked online to see any credits that you have, and it looks like you've also done some theater. I did some theater. I did some theater in college. Uh, not so much when I got to LA, but I, I I did a lot of plays in college, and that that's what made me want to be an actor. What college? It, it was called Lewis University, just outside of Chicago, and um, it gave me the acting bug because I got a lot of. I got a lot of confidence doing the doing the plays in college, but when I graduated, I didn't have the money to move to New York or L.A., so I just started hitting the comedy clubs just to get on stage on open mic night, and that kind of took off for me. I didn't, I was just doing it to get stage time, and I, you know, I was pretty good impressionist. I was doing a lot of impressions at the time, and yeah. I, you're, I put you're, it both into Harry Carey and Vince Scully are memorable I, to me. That you can't go wrong. I put them into a bit. You know, a bunch of celebrities into a baseball bit, and it became my first stand-up bit. Nice. And the and the and the owners liked it, and they would ask me to come in, and they'd start giving me gas money, and then the older guys would take me on the road and let me open for them. And next thing I know, I was a comic, even though I wanted to be an actor. I was I was making money doing stand-up, and then I got a call to do Star Search in '85. And I had seven years in, I was headlining in the Midwest, and I said, well, maybe this is an omen to move to L.A. and give it a shot. Do you remember who your celebrity judges were on Star Search, who judged your comedy? No, but I remember who I went up against. Who'd you go up against? I, well, the first time I went up against, I went up against uh, Jim Higgins, who was a fellow friend of mine in Chicago. And then in the finals, I went up against Jenny Jones, who had a miniskirt on. <laughs> And her boobs all pushed up. She looked like a white Tina Turner. And I said, there's no way I'm going to win this one. Because her and, her and Ed McMahon were in cahoots. Uh-oh. <laughs> we're waiting for the judges to tally our votes. We're standing next to each other. And Ed McMahon turns to her and says, now remember, Jenny, Thursday, you're doing bloopers. The bloopers, bleepers, and blunders. Right. It was a show that him and Dick Clark did. <laughs> Dick Clark, yep. And I'm thinking, well, I have a snowball's chance of winning here. And sure as I was thinking that, and the winner is Jenny Jones. But, you know, uh, it got me to L.A., it got me out of Chicago, and I've been out here 30 years, and I made a go of it, and so I probably would have never made that move if Star Search didn't call. You know, you know? Star Search you know, is easy to mock, but it was responsible for a lot of people yeah. making it over the years, too. It's yeah, I mean, it was the before, you know, uh, that show that's out now, America's uh, the, Got Talent. Yeah. Or the other one? The stand-up comic one the, that keeps coming and going, Last Comic Standing. Yeah, you know, it was the show to be on, to, yeah. be, to be seen before any of these other competition shows, you know. And uh, it, it got me to L.A., you know, as much as I hate doing comedy competitions. <laughs> right. Because it's, it's, it's apples and oranges you're judging. It's, yeah. it's an art well, that's form. that's what made me think of who are your celebrity judges, because to me it's always one of those, well, you know. I, I got voted off by Dionne Warwick. Yeah, or, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like she didn't think I was funny, but boy, that carrot top—he laughed his ass off. So yeah, yeah, that's like, what I mean. It's all, <laughs> first of all, it's all subjective, right? And second of all, you know, you, it's, it's it's an art form. 
Yeah, it's like judging a Picasso and a Rembrandt. Yeah. You know, they were both great. You're gonna say, oh, you, which one's better? Right. <laughs> it's an art form. I mean, <laughs> art forms shouldn't be judged. They should be. You like it or you don't like it. Well, you get something from it or you don't get something from it. And I keep kind of saying the same thing as you see. Like my mom's addicted to the cooking shows. You know, HGTV and all of that. Yeah. Where but everything's a war now. You can't just make a cupcake. You have to have cupcake wars where they're literally <laughs> fighting over who, you know, and, and the loser gets, you know, banished and they see them in tears or whatever. I was like, they, they just made a cupcake. You know, I didn't, I never quite understand why they got to do that. But it was just the cupcake. Yeah. How much can you judge it? <laughs> what are you judging it by the frosting? Right. The, that's you know, it. That's the cookies. You know, I, I tend to watch home improvement shows. You know, I've watched this old house for 30 years. I've never seen anybody cry on this old house. But you turn on some of these other shows and it's like they're in tears over how their bedroom. Well, next out. thing you know, they're going to turn this whole house into a competition. You're going to who could build a house the fastest? Well, they did that stupid... Uh, what was just... that? The, the Extreme Home Makeover. Mm -hmm. I lived out in Orange County for a couple years, and I was about a block away from where they did Extreme Home Makeover, where they put... Basically, they pretend... They tell a family they've won a trip, yeah. and they send them away for a week. And in they that do, week, they redo their house. And they come home. Right. Well, it's like... I don't know if you've ever done any carpentry, even on an amateur scale, but... Imagine building a house in a week, what the quality of construction is going to be. <laughs> it may look pretty, but I mean, there's so many, that show had to shut down, I guess, because so many people sued because their house would fall apart a week after filming. Well, not only that, you get home and it may look good, you'd be like, but this, these aren't, these aren't our choices. Right. We, we want a brown rug, not yep. a red one. We, yep. we don't want paneling, we want hardwood right. floors, you know. Or it's the, like, yeah. Or they, help out, or they think, help out, there's a family in need, you know, and they're hard up or whatever, and they get this brand new house, but all of a sudden their property taxes go up by 700%, <laughs> yeah. and they're evicted. It's just like their house looked really pretty. But they couldn't pay their property taxes. <laughs> that's very funny, actually. <laughs> but that's, like you said, any, any of these shows where they have to have a competition, you know, I used to like watching Evening at the Improv, where six or seven comics would come out yeah. and make me laugh, and then, and then you, roll the credits. So I'm like, I didn't need to see a comic cry at the end or find out their backstory. Or you, you weren't sitting at home judging one to the other, you just right. enjoyed one guy's comedy. <laughs> that's why I say they're so subjective, these yeah. comedy shows, it's like... You may love Dice Clay, and someone else hates him, and right. someone likes Rodney, and they don't like Dice Clay. You, I, I don't know your sense of humor. I don't know who you appeal it to. That's why I, in the book I tell people, uh, you know, you got to write for yourself. You never try and write what you think the audience is going to like, you know, and you never try to be or someone else or, you know. You know, you, you might start out emulating somebody because you like them, but eventually you got to find your own voice, right. you know. I, you know, I don't want this to end up being the Jay Leno bashing episode of the show, but I, to me, one of the things that never worked with Jay Leno as host of The Tonight Show was he seemed to always be playing to the audience. He didn't want to offend. He didn't want to risk provoking. You know, he just wanted to reach that general admission crowd, you know, and... and I know I just never through, wanted that. <laughs> I know just through being inside the business that the only thing Jay Leno cared about was his monologue. After that, he... He, if he had his druthers, he would have went home. Sure. He just wanted to do his his seven oh, yeah. minutes and then leave. He, if you ever notice, when he interviews people, 
he could care less what they're saying. Yeah. He just wants to get a jab in there well, I, and yeah. a joke at their expense. He doesn't even care what they have to say. I worked as an NBC page on the Burbank lot, and one of the things that people can never see is when he's looking at the guest, just behind the guest was Jimmy Brogan and one of his producers who would be holding up the next question he was going to ask. He didn't care what the next question was. He didn't know what the next question was. He just had somebody there holding up the card yeah. just out of camera sight, but still no. within his eye line. And so then whatever the people re responded to, he would try to get a joke out of it. Yeah. You know, it was about him being funny right. on the show. And I said, you know. Where Carson would, you know, he would let his act shine. Yeah. He would. He would listen. He would, first of all, listen. <laughs> then he'd fill them with leading questions mm -hmm. so they could go into their stuff and, and shine. He wanted them to shine. Yeah. They've been showing Carson reruns on one of the cable channels since January. It was awesome. Oh, he was the best. It's just, you know. He I was always, the best. I would always tell people, too. I never got to work on his show. I only got to work on Leno's. But I said, to me, nobody bombs funnier than Carson. You know, he's almost better when a joke doesn't work. And I almost think that he, they, they wrote stuff like that Specifically for him. so he could, yeah. He could come back with the zinger as a, you know. Yeah, because, yeah, he had that ability to just do yeah. that and roll with it that I've never seen matched. I've never seen it matched. Yeah, he, he just was charming without having to be at someone else's expense. Yep. Yeah. So what's next for you? What are you trying? You just came back from Chicago. I, I was going to say you just came flew back, back from, from Chicago, Chicago so you could and, do the old joke. Uh, I'm actually... Player. Flying to Phoenix on Thursday just to see the Blackhawks play and kind of <laughs> do a comedy show on the side to justify the trip. But as soon as I get back, I have to shoot. I'm doing a cruise in the Caribbean. I get back from the cruise and uh, I have to go to Munster, Indiana, do it to a dinner theater just to perform. Not a play, just a, <laughs> it's a dinner not, show. Not doing a one-man show of Othello. <laughs> yeah, and then when I get back from that, I. Uh, I have uh, a gig in Vegas uh, the 16th of February to the 21st at Harrah's at the Improv. Is Vegas as tough a place as they say for comics? I'm told that's the worst city to perform. No, I, I do great in Vegas. I don't know if that's good or bad, <laughs> but I do awesome there. and It's a really good barometer because you've got people from all over the country coming there, so... Yeah. If they're all laughing at your stuff and they come from every corner of this country, then your stuff will play. Then you know it'll play anywhere, pretty much. That's cool. Yeah. So I've always had, I've always had success in Vegas, you know. And uh, if I had my druthers, because I hate traveling now, I'd like to have my own room there so I could sleep in my own bed every night. Yeah. But, you know. I guess, yeah, as, as comics go, I suppose Vegas, at least if you're in L.A., is it's an easy commute compared to some of the other places yeah. you got to go. Yeah, it is. It's just a four-and-a-half-hour drive, and you're there, and you got your car the whole week. Okay. <laughs> as far as gigs go, yeah, it's not a bad gig because you yeah. don't have to fly. And even if you do, it's 45 minutes, so, you know. What are, what are some bad comedy towns for you or bad experiences? I'm guessing you included a few stories in the book about, about that. Well, I really don't care for the ships. I do them as just a means. Yeah to make ends because when you're out at sea it seems like you're out of sight out of mind you just I don't you know I'd rather yeah. be anywhere on land in the states <laughs> than be out at a ship even though the crowds are great and you know I can sell CDs there's just something about being out at sea that adds to the loneliness of the job you know so it's hard to get internet sometimes so you just kind of feel like you're always out of touch and and uh, it just exacerbates the loneliness because the job's already lonely no matter where you're at because you're on the road a lot. 
and you sleep alone a lot and you and you're in shuttles a lot and you're on airplanes alone and just a lot of alone time and you know when you're out at sea it just seems like it's twice as bad because you're in the middle of the Pacific <laughs> or the Atlantic you know so if I were to say bad gigs, it's the ship gigs, but, ship gigs. but you're pay. about to go do one. So, that's but like, I do them because right. I have to make X amount of money sure. a month, and sure. uh, I've actually, I'm, I'm in my 50s now, so a lot of club owners I used to work for are bringing me back just out of ageism, and they love me on the ships, and I only have to deal with one cruise ship agent. I don't have to try and get all these oh, different sure. club owners on the phone and sell myself and try and get a decent buck and all this other stuff. And it takes it's just so much hassle. I almost throw in the towel and say, I'll let my cruise ship agent fill up my calendar and, and take it from there, you know. Are you okay with people posting your stuff without your permission? Is or are you okay with them spreading spreading your name and sort of getting publicity that way? Would you yeah, prefer I'm, to control it? I'm I'm okay with it. I I see things pop up now that I'm like, wow, I forgot I even did that. <laughs> and it's nice because I could record it, and, 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 and it's like I don't even have a copy of it. Yeah. So if I could just download it somehow and have it for my son, I go, at least I have it again. Somebody posted it. Like somebody posted a few episodes of The Good Life. Oh. You know, because we only did 13 right. of them. And not, some of not them. going to do a DVD box set. And I only them. had like 10 of them at home, so I was missing three. Somebody posted one of the episodes I didn't have. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. Um, anything else you need to promote beyond the book, or are you? Uh, no, I mean, if you go to my website, johncapanera.com, I have, I have three or four CDs on there, and uh, and the book, the book you could just get on Amazon. Uh, it's a download. It's not, it's not available right now in paperback. But like I said, it's called A Life in Comedy. It, if you if you Google it or go to Amazon, I'll post a link to it on my Twitter. Yeah, too. it'll pop right up. So it's just four four ninety nine. But if you're an aspiring comic out there, it's a must read. And if you're just a comedy aficionado and like stories behind the scenes, it's a, it's a great book for that too. Well, very cool. Well, thank you for taking the time. I know you got stuff to do and you got a daughter to go pick up from school later. You said I do. So. I got to get going. I'm only home for a few days, and <laughs> I try to tie up loose ends before I split town again. <laughs> It's good. Well, thank you very much for joining me. All right, thanks for having me. Uh It's time once again for our shameless pandering to hipsters and audiophiles alike. Here's Kevin with today's Vinyl Fetish. Yes, it is time once again for Vinyl Fetish, and our fetishist of the day is Javier Grigio Marks Watch. This was uh, our guest from last week's podcast. You, uh, A lot of people heard this one. In fact, it is so far the most listened to podcast of all the ones we have released. So that's kind of cool. I kind of dug that. I hope he kind of digs that. And uh, hoping to <laughs> keep capitalizing off of his good name. <laughs> Sorry, Javier. And uh, you, you, you can check out his, his Vinyl fetish segment here just now. He talks about uh, the music that he likes, the music that inspires him, and uh, all kinds of general music-related stuff. While it happens, it is worth noting there are a couple of cameos by some other writers from the sci-fi genre. They actually were walking by, and they got dragged into the podcast, too. So uh, whether, whether they like it or not, you'll also hear some from uh, Adam Lash and uh, Corey Uchida. You might know them. They're writing for Helix. Um, I think they got something to do with the, the Heroes Reborn series and a couple of other things that are out there. And, and they just happened to be walking by, so they got to talk on the podcast whether they wanted to or not. So uh, here's, here's 
here's Javier and uh, and and Adam and and Corey and and I. So all of the them are professional writers, and I'm just the flunky with the microphone. But uh, here here's Javier's vinyl fetish. I was born into the world of vinyl. I yeah, grew up that, as was I. I, said, I. You know, I've started recollecting. I still had a limited collection, mostly uh-huh. attained from my brother. You know, I had right. I, I had the old Fisher Price record player when I was a kid, you know, but my brother, as he started making the transition to cassettes and then CDs, so I have, you know, Jefferson Airplane Surrealistic Pillow, Mm -hmm. and I have, you know, all of these, you know, The Wall, Pink Floyd, all Mm hand-me-down things that you wouldn't expect that I was like an eight-year-old kid to have, Uh Right. (laughs) but through that, my collection has grown over the years, like I said, I try to hit vinyl record shops whenever I'm in an area, but is there some particular thing that stands out recently that's, you know, a piece of music, an album, an artist, yeah, because, you know, like, or not recently. Something that like kicks globally, in your head. Globally, like it's funny, you know, I think my, my taste in music sort of calcified in the 1980s and never left. Um, you know, so I have like, I mean, my, my, my daughter's just going to hate me because I'm going to have like, she's going to grow up listening to Duran Duran and like, you know. Um, but um, no, you know, it's interesting. Um, I think that there's music that what you hear when you're really young and it's like movies or what just sticks with you. And then at a certain point in your life, you realize like, I've worn this out. Like, I still love this, but I, I can't get the same charge out of it. You know, for me, uh, you know, James Horner's soundtracks oh, yeah. from especially, you know, like like his early stuff, Star Trek II, which was his first really big score. Sneakers was a huge yeah. one for me. Yeah, good score. Uh, Cocoon, Aliens, you know, which is funny because he recycles himself a lot. And it's hilarious because if you listen to his score for um, Battle Beyond the Stars... You, and if, if, if you hear Battle Beyond the Stars, it's actually more Star Trek 2. Pretty much every cue he ever wrote is in the Star Trek 2 score. Yeah. But Battle Beyond the Stars is amazing because it's a really young artist, you know, sort of swiping. For, like, I mean, there's parts of it that are just lock, stock, and barrel from Alexander Nevsky, from Prokofiev. <laughs> and and there's, there's a couple bits where you're like, did Jerry Goldsmith drop in and conduct some of the Star Trek <laughs> The Motion Picture score here? It's pretty amazing. So, so those scores are, were really formative for me, and, and like the really dorky music, like I used to listen to a lot of Jean-Michel Jarre, who's this like, you know, French, like, uh, like uh, uh, keyboard, elect- like he's proto-electronica, oh. you know, whatever, like just real, like, you know, sort of dorky space age music from the 80s. So um, that's what your daughter's going to hear, huh? Well, no, because here's what happened. So, so you know, like about, so like, you know, as I, after I turned 40, I realized your taste in music is calcified in the 80s, dude. You have to like, you know... You have to, my God, it's it's Adam Lash and Corey Uchida. Good Lord, story. look at that. Yes. Yeah, it's not live, it's okay. Right. Two it of going? the writers of Helix. Very nice. Adam Lash and Corey Uchida. Yeah. This is Kevin. Yeah. Hey, we're podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> what are you guys up to? Uh, oh, wow. You're going to go see. Uh... Oh, really? Yeah. What, 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 what are you seeing? <laughs> what are you seeing? Sisters. Sisters? Oh, 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 oh. The one that opened the same week as Star Wars that yes. nobody saw. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys going over to the uh, to Hillhurst to the, or to Vermont? Is that... You're walking to the Grove? No. Oh, oh, okay. All right, fine. Okay, right. Okay. You're getting the coffee. Because I'm like, I figured you were walking to the Vista. Okay, never mind. All right, sorry. All right. Everything good? You got to combine school? Yeah, you got to combine. We're, we're close. I'm still wait. I'm still. I don't know. I'll find out this week if you know between diaper changes. I'll see if the black stiletto gets picked up or not. I don't fucking know. Yeah, yeah. Just you know that. So it's it's. I'm just yeah, literally sitting at home. Not going like, knowing. More way to notes too. So we're just like today. We're just like rather than torturing ourselves. <laughs> nah, go see a movie, man. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Cool. All right. Well, enjoy. Nice to meet you both. See you guys. Yes, you too.
so so I realized that uh, yeah, like I'm just like I'm just the dinosaur, and like I just might as well be eating small mammals and laying <laughs> eggs, you know, just the kind of music I'm listening to. So um, so I decided. So I was writing this pilot called The Black Stiletto, and the lead character in it is a 25-year-old woman. So I asked the assistants at the um, at the hundred, who uh, are women in their mid to mid to late 20s, what they were listening to. So I started listening to the site called Eight Tracks, where you sort of put in a couple things like Lana Del Rey and this and that, and then you you know. And then it'll find other other artists yeah. like that. So um, yeah, so suddenly I'm yeah. So so right now, it's all Lana Del Rey and and her ilk okay. all the time, <laughs> and that's pretty amazing, you know. And uh, and and uh, and Lana Del Rey, man, she's uh, you know. I know I'm late to the party. I'm, no, no. I'm still a total dad. I'm like that Lana Del Rey. She's she's got something. She's got moxie, you know. But uh, see, I went the other direction. Is I've been going older and older, deeper oh, really? and deeper into like old jazz and old blues, and you know some mm-hmm. of the old, you know. I mean, I've I've always been a Sinatra fan, but to go even back well, yeah, into Billie Holiday you know, yeah. and some of the uh, other ones, it's, right? I mean, look, there's a healthy dollop of Frank Sinatra and Elvis and. You know Johnny Cash and all that in in, in my in my iPod, you know, because uh, you gotta listen to that just to be a human being. Yeah. You know? But uh, but no, but yeah, but I had to I had to pace it up a little bit because it was just looking. And then uh, and then recently, you know, uh, and again, ten straight up, ten years late to the party, twenty years late, to, no, ten years. <laughs> but you know, like uh, like I realized the other day, like somebody said something about the thirty six chambers, and I'm like, you know, I gotta. I gotta get in there and figure out what the Wu Tang Clan was about. So I've been listening to the Wu Tang Clan, and you know, it's worth it. Uh, delightful. You know, I don't think uh, you need to do invest in that million dollar album. That no, I don't need to buy bought, the two million dollar uh, album. But uh, <laughs> no, no, that's a whole other thing. But uh, so you know, like like right now, my musical taste has become not really a musical taste, but like realizing that I have none, and that I have to figure out what I can actually. At least in terms of the current stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. But I mean, I'm still really far back. So it's like, but you know, one of the nice things about Again, you work in a in, in, in a in a TV show. You know, you've got people from all ages and walks of life. So, you know, a, a good recommendation is not that far away at any given time. So that's true. Yeah, that is true. All right. Thanks again to Javier. Thanks again to Adam and Corey. Thanks, of course, to John Caponera. Thanks to to Craig for doing the announcing as always. And uh, hope you guys enjoyed the show. Please do let us know what you think about it. Please do share it with friends, family, on the Book of Face, on the Twitter of Twits, on any other social media you can think of. Is Friendster still around? Share it on Friendster. MySpace. Hey, we should get a MySpace account going for this show. Why the heck not? Uh, let, let's uh, let's let's get some stuff moving let's get it happening let's get the buzz that's all about this industry right we need buzz 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 i'm gonna stop saying buzz now but let, let's get some buzz for the show and uh yeah we'll, we'll tune in next week uh, and and same time same place it won't be super bowl sunday so you'll probably listen uh and uh in, enjoy your week folks and we'll see you next time this has been the get off my lawn podcast brought to you by kevin's bookmobile Check out www.lulu.com slash Marusik for a selection of books authored by your genial host. Buy a paperback, download an ebook, and help support the podcast. That's www.lulu.com slash M-A-R-O-U-S-E-K. And by our tip jar. Like what you've been hearing on the show so far? Want to hear more? Then help us out by going to getoffmylawnpod.blogspot.com clicking on the tip jar and donating to the cause of creativity no amount too large 
no amount too small. That's getoffmylawnpod.blogspot.com. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Get Off My Lawn Pod. Check out our SoundCloud at Get Off My Lawn Podcast or subscribe to us on iTunes for the latest episodes. Questions or comments or to suggest a guest, our email address is getoffmylawnpod at gmail.com. The theme was written and composed by Brian Weideman. Check out his music at www.worldbride.com. That's W-O-R-L-D-B-R-I.com. The logo was designed by Julie Contreras at Urban Bird Design. Go to urbanbirddesign.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Tell a friend.